today, as we close out our Hebrew series, would you give your full attention to the reading of God's word? This is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's the reading of God's word. Would you now give your attention and your whole heart to the preaching of God's word? Thanks be to God for his holy, timeless, most relevant word. Thanks be to God, to Pastor Andrew, and the reading of God's word. Hey, one thing I miss most of us gathering together in person, of course, thank you for joining us online continually, is the ability to hear live singing as well as to turn to one another, to the right or to the left, behind and before us, say hi. Say hi loud and proud. Hi, and welcome to Sunday service here at CCSE. As Pastor Andrew mentioned, we're coming to the close of the book of Hebrews. Some of you may entirely forgotten we were in the book of Hebrews or when we began it or how long it took, but we are coming to the conclusion today, better together to refresh our memory just a little bit. This book was given for believers who are prone to drift, uh, prone to lose their way, forgetful, you get tired, you lose heart. Hebrews was given for people who might also be tempted to just give it all up, give up Christian faith altogether because quite frankly, Although in the U.S. of A., we're not as persecuted as its original audience, in many, many other ways, it just gets too challenging and hard. So what message, what possible message can be given to an audience like that and an audience like ourselves? I mean, if the Holy Spirit were to fill you control you, govern you to write a letter or to give a message to an audience like that, what message would be given? It's right here in the book of Hebrews. Here it is. The message that people need most is that Jesus is better. Jesus really is better. Better than anything you can gain, better, any, better than anything you might lose. Question for us today. How do you live out of that assurance? How do you live out of an experience believing Jesus is better? Better than anything in all the world. Here's the answer today. It's as his people gather together. 
as his people meet together. It's not a stretch for me to say that I think every page of New Testament scripture about Christian life is soaked. It assumes togetherness. Togetherness. Verse 25. Do not neglect gathering together as is the habit of some. First, we're going to talk about a couple habits. Second, what we do together. Third, how are we better together? Habits, what we should do when we gather together. Third, how are his people better together? Habits. You've heard the saying, habits form character. Character forms your destiny. The little ordinary things you and I do on a daily basis, it develops muscles, it develops memories, it develops powers, it develops neural pathways, it develops uh, the entire direction of your life. What are your habits? Let me press a little further. What are your non-negotiable habits? In other words, what are your most important habits? The position here at CCSC that I'm so privileged to be a part of has been and will continue to be given the COVID outbreak and various mutations is for the love of our neighbors, is for the love of those who are sickly and vulnerable. It's to support the healthcare system, all of those people on the front lines, to honor local and national authorities and also, I happen to believe it's part of our Christian collective public witness as well. Our non-believing neighbors and friends are watching. What is the church doing about this pandemic? How do they respond or behave to this? I believe it's part of our Christian witness. But if you're a member of our church, you got an email. You've heard these announcements. You're going to hear it again today at the congregational meeting. But the immeasurable value, the immeasurable value of gathering together, meeting in person, I pray, has not been diminished one whit. The immeasurable value of God's people gathering together in person, insofar as you are able to, I pray has not waned, but I've been praying you miss it. You ache for it. You long for it. You value it like never before. You see, there's a habit growing. It's coming like a freight train. It's already occurred. The habit of not gathering together. It's more common now. It's going to be more convenient, more comfortable. It's like, wow, yeah, it is more comfortable. And let's just all admit, it's more comfortable. I, it, I don't have to dress up. I mean... <laughs> It's just more comfortable. I get that. But explicit scripture, all of Christian history, my personal experience, and this is not hyperbole, the experience of every Christian I've known in life is that if you habitually don't gather together, it is spiritually, potentially lethal. 
Yeah, I went to seminary in Boston for about a year, year and a half, buckled down in my studies, thought to myself, for one time in my life, I don't want to serve at a church on the weekends, and I'm just going to study and live it up on the weekends. And frankly, I'll tell you, that was probably the worst year, year and a half, spiritually speaking. I was lethargic. No one asked me questions. I was private. I was isolated. I had secrets. Go figure, a seminary student doing pretty darn well in the classes, goes to a church on a Sunday, heard in his mind maybe the most expository, brilliant preaching he's ever heard in his lifetime. However, however, uh, this person wasn't really regularly meeting and gathering together. You know, habitually not gathering together, (coughs) for this pastor, I would venture to say this now. I can't think of anything more conducive for you to drift, for you to waver, for you to lose heart, for you to lose your way. I can't think of a habit more prone to leading you at the end of the day to spiritual devastation and ruin than not gathering together in person. Now again, not gathering together in person for good reasons. All the reformers during the plagues said, do not come together for the love of neighbor, for the love of the world, absolutely. But for no good reasons, no necessities, this actually just becomes the norm. And then gathering together in person is like now the exception. I will tell you, this is going to haunt me. It scares me. Because here's one thing I know about the Holy Bible. It's never been proven wrong. Never. Oh, I know everyone in this audience, including myself, you try to toy with it. You try to outrun it. You try to manipulate, outmaneuver it. End of the day, you live about 45, 50 years down the road. You're like, okay, yeah, well, the Bible was always right. That's right. It's always dead on right. It predicts everything right. Context. Context. It's not just this one verse that says, do not neglect gathering together as is, as is the habit of some. Verse 23, gathering together is the antidote to wavering in your faith. Verse 26, which we did not read, gathering together prevents, guards, and turns you around from going on sinning deliberately, indulgently, with no conscience. Read that in verse 26. Why do you think some people do purposefully cut themselves off from the fellowship of God's people from church? You know, people who always say, I just have friends who are all non-believers. I get along with them really well. That's great. It's wonderful. But they have zero Christian believers. Zero Christian men. One of the things that the Bible says is because you want to isolate, cut yourself off from God's people so that you can go on doing whatever you want to do. Here's verse 35. Verse 35, same chapter. Gathering together will hold you. It's going to keep you grounded. It'll strengthen you. It'll nourish you. From what? Throwing away your confidence and missing out on receiving a great reward. Hey, friends, family. I really, really. Do you not know this? Whatever 
seems and feels easier right now or even harmless can be most ominous to your well-being and the entirety of your future. That's habit number one. Habit number one, just a casual, comfortable, convenient, it's now the norm. I don't need to meet together with person and people. Habit number two, there is a habitual contempt now for all things church, all things religious, all things institutional. This is in vogue like never before. Uh, my generation grew up where people used to feel like the church is better off than with people like them. So again, I grew up in a generation where people felt like, I'm not good enough to go to the church. I don't know if I could ever expose myself. I don't know if I could belong to the church. Now, it's, it's completely flipped on its head. Now people feel, I am way better off if I don't go to church. I am better off without the church. And can I tell you that if this church culture, if I or anything about CCSC or any church you grew up with makes you more prideful, more divisive, more angry, more ruthless with your enemies, people who may disagree with you, more vicious and violent at home, more sexually uncontrolled or sexist, more hard-hearted, more racist, more abusive, if any church culture leads you to do that, I would tell you, that church culture is not following Jesus. They're not taking their orders from the Scripture and from the Holy Spirit. Oh, I have such judgment and contempt for all things of the church. But Jesus himself acknowledges. He says, you know, on the final day, there are going to be a bunch of people who say, Lord, Lord, Lord. Do you not remember my platform? Do you not remember how many followers I had? Do you not remember the neon signs with fireworks going off with the name Jesus on stage? Do you remember the mega churches I led? Lord, Lord, do you not know all the things I've done in your name? Do you not know the political rallies I have gathered up in your name? And here's what's frightening and haunting about Jesus himself. Here's the real Jesus who stands up at the end of history. He says, but I didn't know you. Like, who are you? Not everyone who claims and says Jesus and sings about Jesus and follows Jesus really follows Jesus. There is such a thing as true believers and false believers. They're here right now. There's a true church, false church. There's a remnant, there's pretenders. There's the wheat and the tares. There's people who are sleeping right now, there are people who are wide awake. There's the sheep and the goats. There's angels and demons. There's people going to heaven, there are people going to hell. There's counterfeit and genuine side by side. But the Lord Jesus himself, who launched every Me Too movement, oh, be assured, Every movement for equity and justice, that's launched by Jesus. You know why? Because he became a victim. He became abused. He was unjustly executed. But he rose again as a vindicated Lord and judge. And the Jesus himself is going to separate, execute, judge with perfect righteousness. 
Oh, but you know, pastor, but still again, I mean, like, there's no way I'm going to hang out with that group of people. I'm so much better than them. Here's the greatest thing going for the church. Here's the greatest thing going out for CCSC. Is that Jesus is not done with CCSC. Jesus is not done with you. Uh, I have a dear cousin. She'll be embarrassed. Esther, concert pianist. Graduated from Juilliard. I think I've shared this before. Whenever she plays the piano, I have sensed God. Fun fact. She and I had the same piano teacher. Her mom was my piano teacher. And every time I played the piano, I assure you, nobody has sensed God. People got irritated, they got upset. They want to deny the existence of God altogether. But much like students who have the same teacher, Christian people, sad to say, but it's a reality check. They're all over the map in their likeness to their teacher. I'm sorry for that. But it's true. But Jesus is never done. He does not give up on his church. Again, that popular meme, not going to church is like not going to a gym because there are out-of-shape people there. Do not neglect gathering together. Do not neglect gathering together, as is the habit of some. Comfortable, convenient, now it's normal. I tell you as a pastor, based on experience and scripture, this might be the most ominous trend toward 10 years later on where you're at. Habit number two, habitual contempt. Trendy, but all trends fade. Now, what do we do together? What should we do together? What does church do? I got three movements here. We have to move one another into the future. Second is own the past. And third, present in the present. Three moves. All from the scriptures. We see it in verses 24 and 25 once again. Two different verses. I'll lump them together. This move is to propel, move each other into the future. How do you do that? Stir up and encourage one another to love and good works. On Tuesday, our staff meeting, as we regularly meet and pray for you, we had a tearful farewell to Amy Lee. Amy Lee, I think today, handed me my final water bottle as a member of our staff. And I was struck that everyone had stories of how Amy had loved on them personally. Consistently, proactively, sacrificially. She lives in Irvine, but she would drive very, very long distances to love on people. As a result of that staff meeting on Tuesday, I don't know how anyone who was even half there could not emerge more stirred, more encouraged to love in good works. My only regret was, why do we wait until the final meeting to do something like this? Back to the passage. Back to the passage. 
I don't know how many of you are like me. You're just competitive by nature. Anything that's competitive to you, just get your juices flowing. Right? You just want to do a little better than that. You want to work on this. You get real dedicated, especially if many money is involved. Of course, you want to be very competitive about that. Here in this passage, it says, consider how to stir and encourage one another to love and good works. Here it is. Here's what I mean. Do you know there's a myriad number of ways to move your fellow brother and sister into the future? It could be your children. It could be your spouse. And are you competitive enough that you feel, do you think about all those different ways? That person over there responds to words of exhortation, words of encouragement, words of affirmation. This person over there needs quality time. This person right in front of me needs empathy. That person over there needs demonstrations, practical helps. Consider now and be competitive about how you stir and consider one another to love and good works. You know, in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says, outdo one another. Great principle in marriage. Great principle in marriage. Do you know how you know you have a healthy marriage or a healthy staff or a healthy work environment or a healthy team or anything like that? They're no longer competitive about, I, I'm not getting my due, I'm not getting my credit, I'm not getting treated well. But all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and turns around the whole culture, and then they're trying to outcompete one another in doing Romans 12.10, which is outdo one another in honor. Try to out-honor one another. Move one another into the future. This is what we should do when we get together. Stir up and encourage. Second, own the past. Own the past. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins and pray for one another. Do you have anyone like that that you can do that with? Is there anyone who does that with you? Can you tell me another PTA or business meeting or sports club that would do this? Confess your sins and pray for one another? Precious, but that's why it's so powerful. To confess your sin means I did this I got me here. As long as Harold relied on Harold, that's what brought him to this point. And if you go to any recovery group in all the world, any recovery group, that's good. They start with the first step. Admit you are powerless and helpless, completely powerless to change yourself. Therefore, you need a higher power to change yourself. They took that straight from the Bible. To confess something means I so want to change. I have been trying so hard to change. But I'm going to confess to God. But why do you? Why would one another? Jesus is my high priest. He forgives me. I know. Why would I confess that to you? Because I need not only the help of God, I need your help to change. And why do you think these small group recovery groups work? I mean, if you don't think you struggle with substance abuse or alcoholism or gambling, 
Maybe you think, oh, I'm removed from this, but no, the Bible says you're all recovering addicts. Just choose your form of sin. To confess your sin means I so want to change, but I can't change myself. And then it goes on to say, pray for one another. There it is. I can't change. Therefore, only God can change me and, and who else? People. People. People of God. Not every person. Trusted, godly few. That's fine. If you can just find one hallelujah. One hallelujah. Confess and pray for one another. James goes on to say, and you'll be healed. All your sins are forgiven. You guys know it's not just the pandemic that's been going on, right? Of course not. A porn-demic, a porn-demic, porn, porn, porn. It's like porn is just everywhere. I talk to my daughters, and they're like, they don't know any guy their age that doesn't expose or get engaged with porn. It's just like, they've asked me, Dad, you know, do I marry someone who has struggled with porn before or anything like that? I don't. Girls, I... I'll just tell you heartily, I hope that man is humble. I hope that man is honest. I hope that man confesses it. I hope that man is repenting. I hope there's progress to it. But let me add something else here. Do you believe in the power of the gospel? Do you believe that there is power in Jesus Christ that you, in effect, actually never have to do that again? Like ever again. Like drop cold turkey. Like stop. I know people who have. I know God working in me. Do you know that's not an option? Do you know you don't have to do that? Have you ever waged the war where you know that, oh, porn is a, no, that's not even an option. It's not on the radar. And if you confess and pray, and you see, the reason why you got to confess and pray with one another, because it's going to get rid of this demonic, isolating, over-shaming, over-guilting, like you're the worst person in the world, like nobody else is going through this. No, it's going to abolish all of that junk. It's going to bring you into the light. And then you're going to take the practical helps that God has given to you, which is not just you and Jesus, but how do you know Jesus is better than anything? It's as his people gather together, as his people gather together, as you do it together, together, in the light, in the light. This might be with your parent. And I assure you, there's no decent parent living today who would be like shocked or surprised or judging you. Oh, my friends. The power of the gospel at work. How? Just to you? No, through his people altogether. And with these people, you get all kinds of practical advice and practical helps. I know for some people who struggle with porn all their lives, who said, you know, Pastor, I just, I just know I'm just so weak in this area. I had to cut off cable. Have you thought of that? I'm so weak in this area. I know when I'm exhausted and tired or feel lonely on a late night, especially when I'm traveling, I just got rid of all the apps on my phone. 
I cut practically all the access I could even have. And I have one or two people ask me those questions when I'm traveling. And what do you think the Lord does by the power of his spirit in lives who are confessing and asking for prayer like that? Move people into the future. Stir up and consider. Consider all the different ways to stir up and encourage. Own the past, last but not least. Present in the present. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. Right here, right now. Otherwise, it's too heavy. Otherwise, it could be crushing. Otherwise, you can feel overwhelmed. Hey, my friend, do you know how many times a crushing weight has felt lighter upon your pastor's heart because of dear, dear friends? Because of my wife lightening and carrying that burden with me? Because of just someone saying, I felt like I needed to pray for you more this week? You might be going through mental turmoil. You might be going through emotional depression. You might be going through growing challenges with special needs, special needs families whom we love. You might be going through that health concern, that chronic illness and pain. You might be going through something at home that just feels like your whole life is being wrecked. But you do have in his church people who can bear up one another's burdens. In Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite quotes, for by himself he cannot help himself. For the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. My self-preaching, self-talking, self-counseling, self-therapy, self-awareness, self-assessment, self-improvement, self-management, self-saving mechanisms. Weaker. Always weaker. Than when I hear a gal share a devotional at my staff meeting. That like wrecks my heart and remakes it. I feel like born again. Now, do you have people that propel you into the future? That help you and they own the past and they're present in the present? Do you have that? Do you want to do that for someone? This is how you actually belong to a church. This is what it means to do church. This is what church people do together. The simplest, most feasible way here at CCSE, you become a member, make your public vows. You take them seriously, and then you're going to get shepherded right away from an elder or pastor by name praying for you. And then you join a small group, a small group. Again, we're not asking that all nine people know, just one or two. And you turn around and give yourself in service. 
You know, when you serve, when you look around to stir and encourage and bear one another's burdens, and you hear people confess and pray for you, this is how the Lord makes you better when you're together. Last but not least, how are we better together? How are we people? How are his people so much better off together? Here's why. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus promised. Wherever two or three people are gathered in my name. I love this. I've come across this again this week. just made me smile. Because I said, maybe this Sunday I'll have two or three people. (laughs) Thank God it's many more. But Jesus says, when my people gather together in my name, that means they're looking for me. That means they need me. That means they want to sing to me. That means they want to hear from me. That means they want to talk to me. That means they want to touch and sense my presence. When any two or three people gather in the name of Jesus, Jesus says, I will show up. I will be there in the midst of them. And don't you love it? It's not based on numbers here or metrics. Don't you love it how Jesus says, I will show up, not how performative you are, not how polished you are, not on your track record the last eight weeks, not how all of life is just coming around based on your hard work, it's all falling into place. No, that's not Jesus, none of those things. None of those are conditions for him to show up. When his people gather together in his name, I will be there in the midst of them. And I tell you, my friends and family, there is no other organization. There is no other group meeting. There is no other club. There is no other alumni. There is no other government. There is no other corporate headquarters. There is no other thing you could ever belong to, to which Jesus himself promises to show up. Yeah, I have a confession to make, and that would be that God has been restoring the utter privilege and joy to study and to prepare and to preach God's word to you. However, I so much more enjoy sitting in your seat. I really do. And I've sat in your seats many times throughout the last two years. And there have been moments in which I feel God touching down, meeting me in a specific current crisis area of my heart, and talking to me straight, almost like reaching out his hand and telling me, Harold, you are my beloved son. I've got this with you. I'm going to carry you a step forward. And I'm not saying it happens all the time. I'm not saying it should happen all the time. I'm not saying that's what you look for utmost in every worship service. No, but when that has happened on a regular basis, there is no better place I'd rather be. And it's not close. It's not close. How are the people of God better together? 
Because when they gather together, the risen Lord and Savior, the one who loved them, shows up. You know, listen right right now. If you're uh, oh, disinterested like a days ago about this topic and maybe bored, or you are actively, those of you online listening to this, actively seeking ways to now habitually neglect and avoid, or some of you just now are on the edge of contempt and just hatred for the people of God. I get that again. I really do get it. But can I tell you, guaranteed, there's one person you're not looking at when you're doing that? Guaranteed. You're not looking at Jesus. I know you're not looking at Jesus. Because when you look at Jesus, the greatest thing the church has got going for her is that not only Jesus is not done with her, Jesus loves her. Jesus absolutely is enthralled with her. And the craziest countercultural part of the gospel for today might be this. Jesus loves his church so much so, even in the midst of all the sin, all the scandal, all the dysfunction, all the hypocrisy, and all the ruin. And Jesus loves her so much so, not only did he die for her in the past, he's coming back. He's coming back exclusively, especially, and only for her. Jesus is coming back for his people. Jesus is going to perfect and heal all his people. Jesus is all about the church because it's his very body. Oh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 reads this, the one person we ought to look at. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. When you and I look more at Jesus... He breaks down your contempt. He breaks down your hate. He breaks down your divisions. He breaks down your pride. He breaks down your self-deceptions. He breaks down your cynicisms. He breaks down your carelessness. He breaks all things that get in the way of his people being better together. Even before all of time began, what was God like? Someone tell me, what is God like before time began? God was together. One of those verses, and come thou almighty king, to thee, great one in three, eternal praises be. Hence evermore, thy sovereign majesty may we in glory see. And to eternity, love and adore. Thy sovereign majesty. How do you see it? How do you go into eternity with loving praise and wonder evermore? It's that he was together. 
And when all of time is passed, when all of time is gone, come and gone, we will be together because we are better together and we will be perfected together. Let's come to the table now as we pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you promised not only to show up when two or three gather in your name, but now as we take the bread and the cup, What love is this? What promises you fulfill? That you would touch down and give us yourself. Whom we need, whom we ache for, whom we long and love more than all the world could ever give. To that, O oh Lord, bless this time of communion together before you. In Jesus' name, amen.